complexity of love. Um, that's a message that I preached last week. And in my message, I talked about an, a- an academic study that discussed the three most common uh, reasons that people fall in love. And, and in this study, it said that we fall in love for reasons of intimacy, of passion, and of commitment. Those were the three reasons. And I found that interesting because I do believe that these three reasons may be among the top reasons why we begin loving God. Not, not attending church, loving God. Uh, in this context, the words are defined as the following. Intimacy. Intimacy is friendship. It allows an emotional connection to take place so that we feel loved and cared for. Passion. Passion is strong and barely controllable feelings and emotions. Commitment. Commitment is placing trust in a person and dedicating your life, your goals, and your future with them. Regardless of our starting point, if we want a strong and we want an impacting relationship with God, I believe that that intimacy and passion and commitment have to be present. They don't have to be the only things, but I do believe that those things have to be present in order for us to be satisfied in our relationship with him. Uh, please open your, your Bibles or your Bible apps to John chapter 13. Um, last week we read from John chapter 14. We're going to take a step back. We're going to read from John 13, um, and, and we're going to cover some things before stepping back into chapter 14. And if you open your Bibles there, you won't have to go anywhere else. That's where we're going to be today is John 13 and 14. I want us to try and connect and relate with the disciples as we read this passage. And I want us to really give thought to what they are going through in this moment. Sometimes we, we read a passage of scripture and we just we just fly by it. We just, we're on to the next word before we really have a chance to chew on what the previous one was. But as we read, we're going we're gonna to see, um, this takes place, where we're going to jump in is uh, after the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples. This is their last meal together. In just a few hours, they will head to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus will be betrayed and arrested. And that will begin his, his torture, his beating, and it will lead to the cross. So this is just after that meal. This is just after Judas has left. And this is just after Jesus has said some pretty, pretty startling things. And he's going to say some pretty startling things. And if we really look at the disciples, we're going to see that they're a little bit shaken. Like emotionally they're wrecked. We're going to see five different disciples asking Jesus questions here on on the end of this meal because they're they're just a little, they're shaken. He's going to make this bold comment and and just imagine yourself in this. He's going to say, one of you is going to betray me. He's going to say, I'm going away. Now, you're used to me going away. We travel a lot. But I'm going away, and this time you can't follow me. You can't go with me. Where I'm going, you can't come with me. And I want you to imagine yourself as being one of those 12 disciples with Jesus. And the impact of those words would have upon you. Let's jump into John chapter 13, verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now 
is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of uses of one word, huh? That word glorified, that word uh, doxazo. It's used five times here in two verses. I mean, it's meant to make a statement. Jesus is making a point. If we look all throughout the Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about glorifying his Father, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross and, and his obedience to the cross, you know, to his Father to do the completed work that the Father has called him to that leads to the cross. And here Jesus, on the heels of saying, one of you is going to betray me, he just drives home the point that my destiny is the cross. That will glorify the Father. That's, that's part of his plan. Next verse, verse 33. Little children. Now he's talking to his disciples, and so for us this is kind of a poor translation because it's like, you know, I don't call my buddies little children, but this is a term of affection. This is a term of intimacy. It's, 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 a, it's a term that I wish it was translated a little bit more applicable to our time, but I'm telling you, this is a term of endearment, meaning precious friend. Only for a little while while I am with you. Here he's saying it. I'm just going to be with you for a little bit. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus speaks very affectionately, very, he's aware of this moment. He's aware of how this is hitting them. So he's speaking with just affection and love, letting them know that he's, he's going to heaven. And it's not at this time that they're going to join. What he is starting to say is, I'm going away. And you're going to continue this work without me. Think about that. Think about how accustomed they have grown to doing every bit of their life with him. And now he's saying, whether you feel like you're ready or not, I'm going away. This work has to be continued. This is my father's plan. You're going to continue it, but you're going to do it without me. That's how they knew it. It, it would end up being... They'll do it with him through the person of the Holy Spirit. But that's still, that's a startling thing to say. Jesus is about to say that there's one thing that will give you success. There's one thing that will make you succeed in what you have to do for me. So Jesus gives his disciples a we're going to see it in Scripture. It's called a new commandment that will allow them to succeed, to accomplish his Father's work when they're, when they're no longer with him. So next verse, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's the commandment he gave. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By doing this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love that Jesus doesn't take any risk in being vague here. He drives this home. Jesus is telling them, so I give you a new commandment. Love each other as much as I have loved you. 
That's his commandment. Love each other to the same measure and the same degree with the same fullness that I have loved you. Because when you demonstrate this love that, that I have for you and you demonstrate it for one another, the world will know we're friends. The world will know that you are truly a follower if you'll do this. Everyone will know. This is significant. This is significant. This might be one of those that we just kind of read past real quick. A new commandment. It sounds like a big deal. But, but here's the truth. This new commandment really is, is kind of new-ish. It's just this has been the purpose that God has had since the beginning of time. Love. Love him. Be in relationship with him. And the disciples, they seem to miss it. They seem to miss this statement he, he, he makes, which I think is actually pretty understandable because he's dropping some bombs. He, he's saying some things that are just deep, and they seem to just go right past this. And so we're going to circle back on this in, in just a moment. Why, why did his friends, why did these closest of friends and followers miss these words? Because they're wrecked. Because they're human. Even though they're, they're the disciples or the apostles or whatever grand name you want to give them, they are human. And at this moment, they're wrecked. At this moment, every thought imaginable is running through their head. I can't do this without him. How are we going to do this without him? How can I even love this clown next to me the way that he has loved me because I've never been loved like that before. And now he's telling me to love this guy that I barely tolerate. I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm reading in a little here. But true, you're, you're wanting me to love others the same way you've loved me? I've never been loved like this before. This is bigger than me. You leaving, this is bigger than me. You being betrayed, I don't, this is what, why is everything falling apart on this night? We didn't read this, but in verse 21, so you can go back and read it of chapter 13, we see that there's a point when Jesus becomes troubled, very troubled. He becomes visibly troubled, and that's when he says, one of you is going to, one of you is going to betray me. And can, you, can you imagine how that must have shaken his disciples, just seeing their teacher, the one that they've been following, he's shaken. He's disturbed. Then in verse 33, he says, I'm only going to be with you for a very brief time and then I'm leaving and you won't be able to come with me. These friends and followers of Jesus, they're soon going to have really big responsibilities. And Jesus will not be with them in the same way as before. So what will keep them together? What will empower them to continue his work? What will give them success? What will astound their enemies? Even though they don't acknowledge it, the disciples don't acknowledge it, the answer is found right there in what Jesus said. The answer to those questions? Love. 
verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by loving one another, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Love. Love will keep them together. Love will empower them to do his work. Love will give them success. Love will astound their ears. More than ever, Jesus is focusing on love and wants them to focus on love. If we love God, if we love him with everything that's within us, and if we focus on this one command, then all of the commands will be fulfilled. That's what scripture says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, everything, and love others as you love yourself. Jesus has given us an example of what this means. And at this point in this conversation, he is just hours away from demonstrating what this love means. He'll demonstrate it through complete obedience to the Father. He'll demonstrate it as, as a reflection of the Father's love for all people. Never before in the history of the human race was there a man who showed love in the way that Jesus showed love. Friends, I'm going to let you know right now, when it comes to us, church, believers, the church, the world's not going to be impressed by our technology. They're not going to be impressed by our just on-point singing or our incredible preaching or our beautiful facilities or our intense praying. They will be impressed by the love that Christians faithfully demonstrate to one another, and they'll say, I could be wrong, but that looks real. That seems authentic. That, that piques my interest. That I can get behind. That I can get into. Love absolutely should be a part of everything we do. It should be a part of our text and our preaching and our singing and our prayer. I mean, it absolutely, sh absolutely should. And I'll even say this. If, if something lacks love, we shouldn't be doing it. If you can't prophesy in love, in love you should not be prophesying. If you can't encourage with, with, the, with the emphasis being love, then you shouldn't be encouraging someone because it's not going to come out encouraging. It's going to be passive aggressive or something weird. Everything we do is supposed to be done in love. So what is love? And it's okay, you can do it. I'm doing it. What is love? Baby, it don't hurt me. Hurt me. No more. What is love? I talked about it last week that it's complex. It's multifaceted. We, we use that same word to describe so many different things. I, I received the correction later, you know, from, from Jacob saying, Mark, it's okay to love pizza. Don't, don't you badmouth pizza, Mark. So 
so, and I agree. I received that correction. But what is love? And who can adequately define love? It takes Paul an entire poem, what we know as 1 Corinthians 13, to take a stab at trying to define love. Love is freedom from selfishness, a selfishness that cares nothing for others. Love is taking action in practical ways for the shortages of various kinds of needy people. And let's be honest, we're all needy people. We all have diverse and genuine needs. Love is extravagant, but wise generosity. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. Love is the gratitude and humility that abandons the thought of living only for ourselves. And by these things, by these things, and this is by no means a complete list, but by these things, we're told that people will know that we are Jesus' disciples. All those definitions I just read of that short little punch list, they're, they're from Scripture. See, love is not not a thing. Love is an action. Love is demonstrated. Love is a commitment to Jesus Christ that is acted out through action. Love is not just a feeling. Feelings pass. Feelings are fickle. We, We feel this way one minute, and next minute we feel this way. Love requires action. Do you love God? And and does your love look like an actionable item? Like, does it look like these things I read, but not limited to these things I read? Does your love come with action? Does your love come, your love for God, come with a selfless humility that says, I've made myself to be used by him, and so I'm going to be used by him so that it's not about me. Forgiveness is one of those things that I think so so many of us, if not all of us, uh, either struggle with or at times have struggled with forgiving someone, especially someone, you know, I mean, the bigger the hurt, the harder it is to forgive. But we have to remember, we serve the one who has forgiven us all of our sins, who has forgiven everything we've done and continues to pour his grace out upon us. And when I think about that, I'm like, Lord, I... My feelings right now don't feel this. I don't feel forgiveness. I'm not feeling it. But I choose forgiveness. Because you've forgiven me of everything. So I'm not going to let my feelings be, Lord, if you will heal me. Does that make sense? Action is a huge part of love. The disciples are going to have to get used to a new way of living. We, we see in this, they're no longer going to be able to rely on the physical presence of Jesus. Instead, they will live on dependence of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus shortly starts raving about. He says, it's better that I go away. Because if I go away, I'll ask the 
your father, and he's going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to guide you and strengthen you and empower you. There's going to be a powerful presence upon your life. He's going to dwell in you. And it's better that I go away. And the disciples are soon going to have to rely upon upon the the Holy Spirit leading them and strengthening them. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to walk our lives with utter dependence on the Holy Spirit to be our strength to bring fruit about in our life because it's not on us. We don't, we don't bear fruit. Like, like We don't bring it about. Oh, look at how good I am. I just amazingly have been bearing the most astounding amount of humility. I'm so impressed by myself. Right? No, it's like we, we walk with the Holy Spirit and next thing you know, a lot of times it's someone else going, hey, I just want to encourage you, man. I, I just see... Put the Spirit upon you. Like, I really, I feel the humility on you that I really think is the Lord. I just want to encourage you with something. I want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're at work in my life. Thank you, Lord, that others are seeing that you're at work in my life. Let's jump back into verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Simon Peter missed all of that, right? He's still shaking. One of us is going to betray you. You're leaving us. We can't come with you. That whole part about loving one another, right over his head. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Misses the whole thing, which brings me just, that brings me peace because so many times I miss it. I'll look back, I'm like, I've read this 29 times today, and I just now saw this. I missed this completely. Sometimes we're dense. Peter's dense here, but this is one of the five questions that, that his disciples ask. He said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And I love this. He's good-hearted. I believe him. He just wants to be with Jesus. Imagine this. He's like, I know what my life was before Jesus. And now I know what the last three years have been walking with you. Why can't I go with you? He's wrecked. Church, I'm telling you right now when we are wrecked and when things have been dropped on us that are bigger than us, we run to Jesus and his plan is that we find strength from love from one another as well. It is not his plan that we're the Lone Ranger, that we do life on our own. The the word that's used most prominently in the New Testament for church is ecclesia which means the gathering. This, the gathering, the being together. Why can I, why come I can't follow you? I will lay down my life for you. So if we can pause right here. I think it's really unfortunate that King James or whoever, you know, it was that, praise God for them, that scribed and wrote the Bible. Because 
before, you know, you had like a scroll. I don't know how big it was. I've never seen it. I, I don't know. But yes, a scroll, and scripture was contained on this scroll. It didn't have chapters and verses. That's whoever compiled the Bible said, hey, we've got to be able to reference this. And so, you know, this is the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse chapter 2. And, and so, so that we can easily find scriptures and share scripture, and okay? But I think there are times when I look at how one chapter ends, and I look at how the next chapter begins, and I'm like, ah, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I think maybe they missed it. Like, not God missed it, the people who compiled the order. And I think that what we see here in John is one of those instances. And, and, and so I'm going to read the end of John 13, and I'm going to read the first verse in John 14. And I'm not going to miss a beat, okay? I'm not going to slow down. I'm just going to read them together, and, and I want you to hear this flow. So John 13, 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And, and then and that, was, that was verse one. The very next verse says, in my father's house there are many rooms. And I go away to prepare. But this, this verse, let your hearts let not your hearts be troubled, and it's, it's plural. He's speaking to all of them. And honestly, wh when he talks about the denial, I don't think he was just addressing Peter. He was addressing all of them. You're all going to deny me. And I get it. But let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in your Father. So believe in me. Believe now in me. When I say I'm going away, believe in me. When I say that we'll be together at some point, but there's a work that you've got to do, and you're going to be empowered to do it by the Holy Spirit, believe in me now. You believed in, in, in God. You believed in the Father. Believe also in me. Peter, you, oh, man, you're going to blow it in the biggest ways. Man, I, my heart breaks for you, Peter, because you're going to be wrecked. You're going to be wrecked. This is going to be the lowest point in your life. It's going to be so hard, man. I, but Peter, I'm with you. Peter, I'm going to be with you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You, you're you're going to blow it. You're going to deny me three times. The realization of this is going to hit you, and it's going to hit you hard. It's going to hit you so hard that you, for a brief while, you're going to give up this call. You're going to go back to fishing. You're going to give up this call. You're going to say, I'm no longer qualified. I'm no longer worthy. You're going to have doubts. Your self-loathing is going to be going to be so hard. But let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe now in me. Believe also in me. This isn't the end. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm reading in here, but that's the heart of our God. With this in mind, I want to read a verse and a couple of after it that I read last week. So we're in John 14 now, so verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another, I mean, that word helper is actually insufficient there. It's, it's actually a, another powerful Savior from the, from the power of sin. It's, it, the Holy Spirit's going to ha- have more power than the power of sin in your life. It's not just counselor or mediator, all the words it's used. It's, it's a bigger word than that. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. But that verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's he referencing? What do you think he's referencing? What did he just say a few sentences earlier? A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you to the same measure I have loved you, with the same intensity I've loved you, with the same passion I've loved you, love one another. When you do this, the world will know that you are following me. The world will know that we are friends. Loving God empowers us to do this. Without loving God, the whole loving each other part, it's not possible. Because I don't, I, don't I don't care what your ruler is, what your form of measurement is. If it's pikas or points or inches or millimeters or whatever it is, whatever your measure I'm just telling you, your capacity to love is here. Your own capacity to love is here. We only can love others in the same way that Jesus loved us, by loving him first. Again, Jesus was asked, what's what's the greatest commandment? He's like, love the Lord your God with everything. I'm not going to provide you with the list of those things, that checklist of what you've got to do to demonstrate love. That comes from the state of our heart and the overflow of that. And then sometimes we have to do like David did in the book of Psalms, and we have to cry out to the Lord and say, create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me. God, cast me not away from your presence. Lord, I've gotten cold and I've gotten hardened, Lord, and I've become self-centered, but Lord, create in me a clean heart, because I know it all comes from my heart. It's not about the works. It's not about my hands. I'm not asking you to create in me um, clean, uh, clean hands, because hands often represents works, and we're told at times, you know, to cl- you know, clean your hands, like, like clean up your works, people. But then when it comes to the heart, we call out to God to renew my heart, to create in me a new heart. Lord, whatever the things are. And and let's think about this, because I honestly think even right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit will bring things to our remembrance, because that's what Jesus promised he would do. What are the things that makes our heart harden? Fear is a big one. When, When we open the door to fear, it can grab us and cause us to not live a life of faith. Because faith and fear have a real tough time coexisting. What about hurt? Hurt can turn into resentment. Resentment turns into unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is totally contrary to to living with grace and forgiving grace. 
and, and we're told we must forget. We're told in Scripture you must forget. How do we, how do, we do that when we don't feel it? And we've been hurt. All we feel is the pain. We run to Jesus. We embrace Jesus. We call out to Jesus. We dialogue with him. We make it not about ourselves. So as we're doing this series, complexity of love. Complexity of love. You guys, I, I don't have like the, the stamped pat answer for you. But I'm telling you right now that if action for God doesn't follow our declaration of love, not authentic. That's not genuine. Think about the person that you love the most. Maybe maybe it's a child. Maybe there's multiple people that hold that place, but think about the people you love the most. Are you thinking about them? I'm not just like rhetorically saying that. I'm gonna say, think about those people right now. Set your mind on them right now. Are there any actions you do that you just take such joy in doing that you honestly can't wait to do again? And you take such joy because you love them, you just can't wait to give to them in this way, to love them in this way, to care for them in this way. Action is a natural overflow of love. talked about it last week and I'll, I'll throw it out there again. Dialogue with the Lord is so important because this is a relationship and if you find that you're not able to kind of have those actionable items that your focus is just on self or, or anything other you know, than him and there's not that overflow with it just call out to him and say Lord create in me a clean heart. Lord give me a new heart. Lord take away the resentment or the unforgiveness or the hurt. Lord, take away the fear. Lord, I've allowed fear. Lord, take away the jadedness. Take away whatever it is. And we dialogue with him. And then we expect him to respond. And how he responds, what does it look like for him to create in you a clean heart? I don't know, but how exciting will it be when you see the facets of this new love in your heart? Acknowledge it. Celebrate it. Lord, I asked you to do this. I asked you to create me a clean heart, and I saw myself doing this. Lord, I, I, I felt myself just feeling this and responding in this way. Lord, is that, is that your handiwork? Is that what you're doing? And just dialogue with him. But it's about relationship. Intimacy. Friendship. That definition I gave. It allows an emotional connection to take place so that we feel loved and cared for. That is supposed to be part of our love with God because he so desires to love and care for us and for us to acknowledge my God loves and cares for me and for us to rave about it. Listen to how my God loves and cares for me. Action. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to bring this home. Bring this home in our hearts. I, I firmly believe for each one of us there's something that you want to do, that you want to accomplish. There's ways you want to heal us. There's ways you want to grow us or sharpen us or challenge us. There's ways you want 
just to drive but we're not currently driving and and we see in your word that you have said the world will know that you're that we are your folks that we are your followers if we love one another so lord help us in these ways that we find it tough to love one another lord help us in the ways that it is tough for us to even love our our brother and our sister our our friends our family Lord, we just call out for your help. We, we need you as healer, as savior, and as deliverer. So just bring, bring freedom to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't done so in a while, crack open John 13, John 14, John 15. Every time a disciple asks Jesus a question, Stop. Place yourself in, in the position of that, that disciple and say, what do you, I wonder what that guy's thinking right now. I wonder what they're going through right now. Why did he ask that question? You know, and, and like, like really let the, the word of God become real to us. Because I, I promise you guys, in us living our lives, not just for ourselves, but loving others, there are ways that we can read this passage and encourage others and point them to the Lord by saying, hey, this reminds me of something I read in, in the Bible. This reminds me of something I, I saw. And, and um, you can relate to this too, I bet, right now. And just Let's just live our lives with generosity. Amen? You guys have an amazing day. Supposed to be a high of 75 today. That is glorious. Like, that's San Diego. That's, like, perfect. So, um, and let's just be attentive to the ways that God is asking us to love one another and to love him. So I'll leave you with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. I love y'all. Dave Powers next week. It's going to be awesome. Worship's going to be awesome. I, with him preaching on passion. Come on. Dave, Dave's such a passionate guy. It's going to be incredible. So um, we'll see you guys next week.